the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Better Golf Pod. As always, I am Tee Off Sports, and I'm extremely honored to be joined this week by two of my good friends, Owen Vrabel and Matt Miller. The duo hosts one of my favorite podcasts in the industry called Draws and Fades, and you can find their page on Twitter at draws underscore n underscore fades. Boys, it's an absolute pleasure to have both of you on. Thanks for having us, man. It's been a uh, yeah. You're, we're actually this is our first time being a guest, so uh, we're excited. Um, we're feeling pretty good about this week too. So we just recorded our podcast. It'll be out later tonight. So we're feeling warmed up and ready to roll. You know, before we get started, I wanted to tell a little story that I haven't told many times before. I obviously owe Nick and Jason Mizrahi, who's the owner of Win Daily, a lot for the position I'm in now. The Better Golf Podcast was their brainchild, and they gave me an opportunity to do the show with them sight unseen. Nick and I respected each other's work, but we had never, or they had never heard me on a podcast before we filmed our first show on a Tuesday for the WGC concession. And one of the reasons why they hadn't heard me is because I had never done a show of any kind until that Monday when I filmed Draws and Fades with the two of you. So first off, I just wanted to tell both of you, you guys are trailblazers in this industry. We have a ton of brand new podcasts from great content creators that have started in 2021, but the two of you were ahead of your time in producing your own product. I originally found the show from a mutual friend of ours, Gianni Maglioco, who's a brilliant writer for Golf WRX. And he sent me a message saying that I needed to check out your program because it rivaled anything anyone was putting out for public consumption. I listened to the show and everything he said was true. You were both knowledgeable, provided great information, and I retweeted the episode and made a comment that everyone should check out your work. You know, it's funny that we're here now because I never envisioned coming on the show, nor was it something that I saw in my future because I was happy with the freelance writing role I had going on. But, you know, fast forward to early 2021, I got a message from Owen asking if I wanted to be a guest on the segment. And I just wanted to thank both of you for how comfortable you made me feel. And I could not be more ecstatic to have everything come full circle just six months later and have you guys on my show this time around. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it's our first time on someone else's show and you were our first guest on our show. So it worked out perfectly. Yeah. Sorry, Owen, you can go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically... We're always looking for guys out there that do new and creative stuff and all the wizard tools you put together, the fantastic analytical information you put out there to kind of weed through all the information that we have. Um, Because when we first started, we're kind of like felt like there wasn't a ton of people doing these, you know, golf podcasts, trying to preview PGA Tour events. And uh, we hadn't we still, you know, we still don't do guests typically all the time. We live busy lives for the most part and this is kind of uh, a hobby of ours and we were like we need to have this guy on he's going to give more knowledge than we typically can we'd like to try to keep things light and uh, give as many winners as possible but as you know it's not that easy to do so it's good to have fun with it while you can you know yeah and I appreciate always I mean like I told you guys after we filmed that show that anything you guys ever need I have your backs with it and uh, you guys were complete professionals with it and obviously super knowledgeable, as I said. And, and I think the reason why your guys' show has success and our show has success just comes down to the transparency that we have. And you have to have success at the end of the day. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, Owen, it looks like you're up 52.6 units and Matt, you're up 63.4 units on the season. So, I mean, those aren't shoddy numbers by any means. Like that's 
that's having a very good year. So you might be underselling, you know, not having the time to do it. You guys put out some of the best information that there is. I appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate that. Because at the end of the day, it's really like the top 20s, top 10 markets. And I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit of the top 40s as well. Those types of plays, I mean, there's typically value in them every week. And if you can find a few of them weekly, you kind of can plug along until you find that outright, which is inevitable when, you know, you're picking guys, you are comfortable feeling like they can win a PGA Tour event. Sometimes you go through long streaks like we have with Abraham Answer. But at the end of the day, you stick to your guns and you know a guy's got it in his bag. Um, you're going to win some money out eventually. So we've had a good run here uh, this year and uh, we're looking to keep it rolling. Well, yeah, we've found a, a ton of value in those like top 20, the top 20 market. And I know you guys do top 40 on your show as well. And I think that's like a really important thing where, you know, if you're not hitting outrights, you could still come out of the week, you know, slightly up or even. And then when you do hit an outright, you have a chance to, you know, kind of go up big. Yeah, that's always the way we view it on this show and what we try to preach also. Like the top 40 market, the head-to-head bets, those are what are sustainable to a bankroll long-term. These outrights are super hard to hit. Uh, there's a lot of luck that goes into it. I mean, and oh, this yeah. is a this is a good segue into it because, Owen, I know you had Kevin Kisner last week. And yeah. so did I, but there was a lot of luck that went into that victory. And unfortunately for me, it would have been a bigger win if Adam Scott would have won. It would have been a huge win for me if Kevin Na would have won, but... You know, tell us a little bit of how you came on Kisner and uh, all of that that went into it. Oh, I mean, Kisner just loves those short courses where he can go low and he's not intimidated in those places. He's also he's noted saying he'll he doesn't like the long courses and he's looking to just cash some money and move along with his career. But Kis at that, you know, 50 to one number, I couldn't resist. Um, and yeah, actually, last week was funny because. I had Russell Henley as well, and the previous week had Harris English. And you don't get lucky like that all the time where you have two guys that basically implode on the weekend and you find yourself in a playoff and they, the, you happen to have another guy there and they end up pulling it out. So there's no doubt luck involved, but for sure there's a process and you're just looking for guys to be in the mix. I mean, at the end of the day, there's some guys um, that kind of show up every week and it's maybe they're – time will come eventually and then there are guys that kind of just kind of come out of nowhere not be playing well and then pop off at a course that they like Um, so there's always different angles to take but um, I'm not gonna lie definitely was not expecting going into Sunday for me to be hitting a Kevin Kisner ticket I was most likely looking forward to the Russell Henley ticket but we'll take what we can get yeah and I think that's you know a really good way of saying it like there's going to be ebbs and flows with this. There's going to be times where you get lucky. There's going to be times where you get unlucky and it's just a process with it. And and obviously we're all building models and we're all doing whatever our research process is to try to gain an advantage with it. But that's kind of the best way I would say it. Just stick to your guns, stick with your process, find a process that works and try to, you know, build it into something that can be sustainable long-term with it. But Let's move forward into the Northern Trust this week. So we have Liberty National Golf Club, about 7,387 yards, par 71 bent grass screens. We have 124 of the 125 qualifiers here, with Louis Oosthuizen being the lone exception. And the cut line will be top 65s and ties. There isn't a ton of data at our disposal, and the last PGA event played here was in 2019. We also had the President's Cup in 2017. But I will start with you, Matt. Where did you pinpoint your research and what are some of the stats you are looking at? 
Yeah, so um, I didn't look too much into the President's Cup just because, you know, it's a totally different style event. It's, you know, team play and they're doing, you know, matches. And it's not, I don't think it totally correlates to stroke play. Obviously, the guys who have played in the President's Cup, you know, having any kind of um, familiarity with the course is a you know great thing to have. But I didn't dive too deep into that. I looked at 2019 um, big time, you know, that leaderboard, the type of guys on the leaderboard, and then kind of the stats that led them to get to that spot. So, you know, Patrick Reed won in 2019. Um, looking at the rest of the top 10, you know, Abe Answer was in second. Harold Varner, John Rahm tied in third, and Adam Scott rounded out the top five. And then we had uh, Rory, Jordan Spieth, Ian Poulter, other notable guys who finished in the top 10 there. But when I started looking for, you know, what key stats and what I'm looking for this week, I noticed, um, you know, in that 2019 leaderboard, all uh, top 15 on the leaderboard gained strokes and approach, and all but four gained strokes around the green. So as you dive a little bit deeper into the course, you notice, all right, they have smaller greens than tour average here at Liberty National. So it makes sense that you're going to have to be, you know, hot with your irons. And it makes sense that, you know, you're not going to hit all the greens regulation just because they are smaller. So when you miss, you're going to have to get up and down and you're going to have to, you know, be good around the green. And that's kind of where I started my research. And then, you know, you could dive a little deeper into different categories that you want. I think accuracy is going to be important just because I think with smaller greens, you're going to want to be playing out of the fairway more than the rough. There is also fescue here. So if you've missed wide, you're, you're in a lot of trouble if you end up in the fescue. Um, and that's kind of my base of where I started. Obviously, you know, you could look at putting on bent grass and, and different things like that. But really for me, I was looking at um, approach and around the green numbers as, as key stats. And then I think that accuracy is going to be important as well this week. Yeah, I, I think a well-rounded game is going to go a long way with it. I think the total driving that you're talking about, these are very small greens. I, I think those are important stats to look at. And I will go through what I have in a second. But, uh, Owen, is there anything you would like to add to that? Um, so for me, I felt like looking, first of all, I mean, looking at the 2019 leaderboard, like Matt said, plenty of players that are in the top 15, top 20 in the world, the best players that might not necessarily all have the same skill set, but they're either very elite at ball striking and strokes gain approach, or they have, you know, the Patrick Reed ability to get up and down from anywhere, make birdies when they have the opportunities. And that's exactly what you just said, where being well-rounded is going to be needed here. You can't be giving away shots. You got to take advantage of the holes that you're in good position on. Um, and yeah, similar to what Matt said, I mean, the off the tee game, I don't know how huge it will be, but I do like guys that have been playing well recently with their off the tee game and strokes gain approach, because at the end of the day, I think we'll go through the odds list and get into different players, but there's all the top players are here and there's pretty good value for the most part um, up and down the board. It's kind of just finding the guy that you think is going to have their best week this week, which is not always easy, but at the end of the day, I have a feeling it's going to be one of the best players in the world. So do I. I think that in these tournaments, like whether it be a WGC or a playoff event or a major, I think the cream usually rises to the top when you get all these big players. One of the reasons why I believe that to be the case is just because everybody's here. It's really hard for one of these guys that's, you know, a 150 to one golfer uh, to play, you know, what his A game is and not get an A game from a guy like Brooks or Rory or Spieth or, you know, whoever you want to throw into that mix from it. So uh, I would agree with that. For me, I threw out any data pre-2013. 
Players voiced their frustration after the 2009 version at this track, causing the course to undergo massive changes to the greens, fairways, and sand traps. The newer version of Liberty National has 90-plus bunkers and 13 water hazards, but there are additional pitfalls, a couple of them that you guys mentioned with it. There's going to be thick fescue and bluegrass rough. The one thing I will say to that, I have seen the players saying that it's not as thick this year, uh, so that's something to look into. I changed my model a little bit today from what I had it before. It was a 50-50 split between accuracy and distance. I made it a little bit more distance heavy. I do think distance can come into play. Uh, greens are fast and feature narrow landing zones, as you said. Uh, wind can play a factor with this sitting on the coastal line. But before I get into the statistical breakdown I used, I did a 70-30 split between stats and weighted current form. That means I have 0% on any course history. I just prefer finding numerical fits versus using a random 2019 result. So I put 25% on weighted tee to green category that I made. I didn't see a heavy case to be made for putting. And the fact that birdies from zero to five feet are 6% above tour average has me concerned with players that can stick their irons in close. I have 17.5% on weighted proximity. 52% of irons come from 175 plus yards. But I did look at a few other ranges also. I have 17.5% on weighted par four category. The five most challenging holes come between 450 to 500 yards. And I did mix in some par four scoring average to the uh, to go along with bogey avoidance. 10% on par five birdie or better percentage. Uh, this was one of the few venues where par fours outweighed par fives for me. But two of these holes are reachable in two shots. And all three will provide some of the easier scoring chances daily. I have 10% on strokes gain total on bent plus strokes gain total in moderate to severe winds. Wind doesn't look to be a heavy factor at this point, but it's coastal gusts and the bent grass portion just adds into the court course fit nature that I'm trying to find. I have sand yep. save percentage for 10%. This is just because of the 90 plus bunkers. And then I wrapped it up with 10% on ball striking. Distance is four yards above average here. Accuracy is still 5% higher. I think you're going to need to find fairways because there is still fescue to some extent with it, but I mixed my total driving number with the GIR percentage. So essentially, I mean, to kind of just simplify that a little bit, I'm looking for well-roundedness. As I said, golfers that excel T to green can hit fairways with distance and salvage scores on these difficult par fours. Um, yeah. So going off that, I basically, um, first of all, I typically always love, uh, the approach and ball strike guys. And like you said, the 175 and over this week, I think is going to be important. And it is right on the water there um, in Jersey City. Beautiful course, um, beautiful skyline views. It's an awesome place. I'm going to be able to go on Saturday, which is awesome. So we'll see. I, I know the weather forecast isn't super uh, concerning yet, but I, I do like guys that could also play well in winds. It's kind of a tough stat to really quantify at times because different courses have different types of wind. Um, but yeah, I think you hammered that. I My modeling goes a lot less in depth than yours. I like to basically weigh a lot on strokes gain approach and ball striking and mix in a few others just to get a nice list of everything. So it's visually, uh, you're able to kind of see what guys do well. And maybe there are guys that maybe are better ball strikers than they typically have been over the last you know 24 or 36 rounds but they've been putting really well on bent. There's always something you can find in there. So you're the, you're the guru in terms of the, uh, the modeling. So I'll leave that, that stuff to you. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. I mean, obviously I have a database with a lot of information in there and I run things a little bit longer term than most people just to try to 
get rid of some of the recency bias that comes into play with it. But uh, I'm curious to ask both of you uh, being around that area. I heard that it's been wet there uh, recently. Is that true? Yeah, it actually yeah. has been very wet. It rained actually recently today. So, yeah. Maybe, I mean, if if the rough isn't that thick, then obviously distance might become a little bit more relevant. This is a long par 71. Uh, just something to keep in mind here. I don't know, you know, it, it's just interesting with what the players have been saying, I guess. Like, I heard it from Rom. I heard it from Rory. I've heard it from multiple people that, there's really like, yes, there is fescue, but if you miss, you're going to be okay. So that's kind of the one thing I noticed. Well, we'll get into it, but I, I like that. I like that. Well, before we start about who we like this week, uh, let's talk about who we don't like. And I'm going to give one answer to start this and I will do it from a DFS perspective. And I might be committing a deadly sin right now by having the two of you on <laughs> and then bad mouthing this player. But I'm out on Abraham Anson. Oh, oh no. no, Spencer. Don't do it <laughs> you know, to him. The, like, the one thing I will say, I just don't like the price tag on DraftKings, which means I also don't love his outright number. I don't think he's going to necessarily burn lineups to the ground. I think he's safe enough not to do that. But there's a difference from the $9,000 range than what we get in the $7,000 range. Um, you know, obviously, I don't want to tell you guys that coming on the show. And I will throw it over to you now, Owen, to hear your thing in. Let's not take an eye for an eye here. So, like, no slander towards Jason Day, no slander towards Seamus Power, but anybody in, whether it's DFS, outright betting, head-to-head matchups that you're looking to take on? Uh, well, I, for one, have a fade that I basically play every week. That's Tony Finau. But now he's kind of slid down the board where he actually probably has some decent value. Um, so I think my fade is probably going to be Webb Simpson. Um, I just haven't seen anything from him recently and he's still in a decent range on the, on the odds list. You find him in the thirties for outright markets. Um, and he's, I think he's just a little bit overpriced for a guy that maybe still has a little bit of an elite kind of tag. And I think he's kind of at the end of that rope. Um, granted again, he is a guy that I typically fade, um, when it's not a Webb Simpson course and, I don't think this is going to be a Webb Simpson course. Yeah, if distance ends up playing into uh, anything here, I I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, I will say there is an Abraham answer matchup minus 105 against him. Uh, that's on an offshore book. It's not at one of the legal books. But if you look around, you might be able to find that. But Matt, what about you? I am going to fade Justin Thomas this week. Um, I've seen a lot of people on him outright, and I understand, you know, from a value perspective that you're getting, you know, a top five player in the world, most likely at, you know, 30 to one, and you're not going to come across that very often, but I just haven't, I can't get there with him. I haven't seen anything lately that would make me think that he is, you know, going to go out and win this tournament. Um, looking at since he won the players, I mean, he only has two top twenties and 11 events, one of them was the Valspar back in early May. Um, since then, the only top 20 he had was a tie for 19th at the U.S. Open. So I just don't see enough out of him lately to to get me there with him this week. Um, I've seen a lot of people, you know, on him. And, and like I said, I get it from the number, but I just I don't think he's going to do it this week. There's a lot of people on him. That's the one ticket. I, I, I've seen a lot of him. I've seen a lot of Dustin Johnson this week and. Uh, you know, Justin Thomas is an interesting one just because 
I do think it's a little bit of an inflated number. I don't have an outright. There were other places I went. Um, I think you can make an argument if we're just talking DraftKings here. At less than 10% ownership, there may be some GPP leverage that you can find. Although I'm kind of concerned that that number raises throughout the week with just all the publicity that he is getting. Um, so I haven't necessarily decided what I'm going to do with them there. He's ninth for me overall. He's fourth from an upside perspective. He's 16th for safety. Obviously that safety number is a little bit concerning. doesn't matter as much for an outright, but, uh, that would be kind of where my mind's there. I mean, I guess if I was trying to just throw anybody else out there, that would be a fade. Um, and once again, DFS answer, I'm probably not in on Adam Scott this week. I just think that was a heartbreaking loss. Good course fit. A lot of people are going to want to play him. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? So it's funny. I actually think that I don't know if he's, I don't think he's going to play poorly this week. I think there was enough that we've seen now over the you know past couple of weeks, right? I don't hate him as a, as a play, but I do think that the value is not there specifically because of the course history. And yeah, you're probably right. It's tough to miss a putt to win a tournament from, you know, inside four feet and not get it done and then bounce back the next week and, you know, play consistently. So I don't hate that fade. Um, I may have said that in a top 20 market, he might not be a horrible play, but um, for DFS and, you know, in outrights, I don't necessarily see it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think um, he's going to be pretty popular this week. You know, just judging off, you know, the limited course history that we have, he's had good showings here. Um, Obviously, you know, a win back in 2013. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, his performance last week where he probably, you know, he should have won um, in that first playoff hall. I think a lot of people are going to be on him this week. I think he's going to be popular. So I, I do like that fade. I do think he's going to bat. I think he's going to play okay, though. I just wouldn't take him to win. Yeah, I mean, he's 41st in my model. He's 32nd for safety. Um, I guess the bigger problem I have is just $8,400, 12% ownership. You know, I think if you... Get, got a version of him coming into this week where he didn't have that result. He could have been a seven thousand something dollar golfer. He could have been six seven percent owned. I think a lot of people are buying into what they saw last week. I agree. Numbers looked really good. It's the best we've seen him play in a really long time. I thought the driver looked great. So uh, I just don't think he's going to win. I think that when you have that sort of ownership, that's kind of somebody I'm looking to take on when my model doesn't necessarily like him. But let's move over into the top forty market here. And you know, I know you guys have your show. Uh, go to the top 30s, top 20s, top 10s, whatever you guys have. And, you know, whatever you guys are comfortable giving here, I know you probably I want people to go tune into your show to hear the full card, but I'd love to hear at least some of your favorite plays. So, you know, Matt, when you look at this market, uh, whether it be the top 10, 20, 30, or 40, anything that stuck out to you? So I had a, I can't prepare it for your show. I brought a top 40 with me. Uh, we don't typically do top 40s, but I dove into the top 40 market this week. And I like Matt Wallace at plus 250 there. Um, just kind of looking at him and his recent form over the last 24 rounds on, you know, Fantasy National. I saw a lot of positive things. Um, he's, you know, 15th around the green, 35th in approach and off the tee. And I think he's one of those guys that's, you know, kind of solid all around. We've seen him play well previously in bigger events. So I don't think he's going to be kind of intimidated by this type of event. Um, so I think he's going to play solid this week. And I think top 40 plus 250, that's pretty solid value on him. So for the top 40, I'm going to start off there with Matt Wallace. Here's the thing I will say about M- Wallace that I noticed. 48th in betting position, 81st on DraftKings. So if you like him, there is a spot there for DraftKings to have value also. That was one of the things that stuck out. I think he might be the biggest differential I had in my model 
uh, looking at that. But I like that call. Uh, what about you, Owen? Well, I'm a little bit hesitant now to say this after the shots fired at Abe answer, but Seamus uh, Power is my favorite top 40 play. I think he is plus 200. I found him on FanDuel. You probably find maybe something a little bit better. But it's funny, in the model I ran, he was fifth, and he's the only guy inside of 15 in my model that's ranked outside the top 20 in the world. So it's definitely a little bit of an outlier, and Seamus kind of crawled in there, but he's playing some phenomenal golf, and I kind of feel like he's become this fearless golfer, and when he's when he's in there, he's he's going he's going for it. Um, obviously, he won at the Barbersall recently, played not very well at the Wyndham, but, I mean, prior to that, back-to-back top 10s at the John Deere and the Rocket Mortgage, top 20s after that at the Travelers and the Palmetto, and ninth at the Byron Nelson. I mean, the guy's just been absolutely on fire. This may be the best field we'll see all year, so maybe in the top 20, the top 10 market, it would be a little bit not outrageous, but in the top 40, I love it. Well, you know, based off of that, I may have to take away my Abraham answer slander <laughs> here because you're speaking my language right now. And, you know, I, I said on this show, I went on seeing the Jod show last week. I did not like Seamus in last week's tournament. And there was I just didn't think it was a great course fit for it. This is a different venue for him, and he is probably my favorite play on the board in the top 40 market. 11th tee to green over his last 24, third around the green over my two-year model, first in par four average. Um, as you mentioned, maybe it's getting a little bit aggressive trying to play him into the top 20 market, but he is plus 500 where ties pay in full somewhere. I don't mind taking a shot with that. As you said, that plus 200s on FanDuel. He's plus 160 on DraftKings. Uh, plus 175 on points bet. So he will be the biggest wager I have this week. I'm going back down the the or the road with him on it. But uh, anything, it. anything else that you guys have uh, in any of the markets? Yeah, well, for, I, oh, you can go on. well, I just have a personal bet on Harry Higgs. I already placed a bet on him for top 20, uh, which is plus 1800 on DraftKings, wow. which was insane because I then looked at FanDuel and he was like plus 950. So the discrepancy there was a little bit too much for me. Plus, he's coming off of a, a beautiful Harry Higgs performance, cashing a top 20 for us. So I'm riding the wave with Harry. He's one of my favorite golfers, and he's kind of one of those guys that I feel like can get hot. And I believe he made the he made it to East Lake last year, If I, correct me if I'm wrong. But either way, I feel like he's going to close the year strong. And he hadn't been playing good golf at all, so he's still not going to model for well for anyone really at, at really anything. And I think there's going to be value there. Well, the thing I like about that, at least from the price that you got, he's very boomer bust in the results he gives you. So if he shows up, you're in play at a big number. If he doesn't show up, you get a missed cut and, you know, it is what it is with you. You move on. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Anything else? Um, are we moving down the board a little bit further? It's like the top 20s, sure. top 10s. Sure. I, I'm going to get back on board with Harrison English this week. Um, I'm not going to take him outright, but I think he's a good – he's plus 450, I see, on FanDuel for a top 10. I see plus 190 for a top 20. If you can get him plus 200 or above somewhere, I think that's a great play. Um, he was – you know, he's playing fantastic golf. Obviously, he had that really bad back nine on Sunday at the WGC in Memphis, but I think he's just going to – you know, get back to playing good golf this week. I don't think it's going to get in his head and affect him too much. I really like the fact that he took the interview after that. Not many guys, you know, would they would have been frustrated. They would not have done that. Um, him being level-headed throughout that whole process, it's kind of the way he is. He's a level-headed guy. I think he's going to bounce right back this week. 
So I think it's going to be hard for him to come out and win, but I do think he's going to play well this week, and I think that he's certainly going to be inside the top 20, and I wouldn't be shocked if he had a top 10 either. Yeah, 11th in my model from a safety perspective, which kind of puts him right in that top 10 range, 14th at Palmetto, 3rd at the U.S. Open, obviously the win at the Travelers, 46th at the Open Championship, and then the 4th, as you just mentioned, at the WGC, which should have been a victory there. But, uh, yeah, I, I like that call, and, and you know, I didn't – I don't have anything lower than top 40s. I will run off a couple to run by you guys right now, see what you guys think about it. Uh, we'll break these down in the sections because I do have a couple here. But Cameron Tringali, plus 160 on FanDuel. He's plus 100 on DraftKings, plus 120 on points bet. It's going to be a small play for me because I do have some concerns with his off the tee game. But he does have 13 top 32 results in his last 17 starts. He's 19th in my model statistically and 11th in weighted par for scoring. Then the other one I will throw out right now is Keegan Bradley, plus 165 on FanDuel, plus 160 on DraftKings, plus 150 on PointsBet. Um, there's a little bit of risk here, a little bit more risk than I normally take for these because I do think missed cut comes into play. I usually try to find guys that go up in my safety model, not down in my safety model. And he's a guy that went from 36 all the way down to the 60 range. But 21st for upside for me. And I just wanted to gain a little bit of exposure without having an outright ticket on him. So... Any thoughts, uh, Matt, on Cameron Tringali or Keegan Bradley? I like the Keegan Bradley play. Um, I do. I He's an interesting guy, like you said, because you never really can trust him fully. But it wasn't too long ago where he was playing spectacular golf. Um, and then, you know, he's kind of tailed off a little bit since then. But it's also impossible to keep the kind of form that he was on. Um, but I, I do like that play this week. Um and you might be talking me into something here. Yeah, that's funny. It's funny you mentioned Bradley because I actually – we didn't get into first-round leaders um, on the, our podcast we recorded uh, tonight. But he's a favorite of mine for that because the guy can just get absolutely on fire. And he may not be able to carry it for four rounds. But like Matt said, I mean, not too long ago, he was playing pretty pretty good golf. And, you know, he wasn't exactly closing all the, all the tournaments down. But – He's a guy that I definitely like in that fashion. And Cameron Tringale is funny you mentioned him because he's burned me a few times on top 20 plays. So I think you mentioned him in the top 40 market, yeah. which makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, the guy, I bet you the times that I bet him were probably the Charles Schwab or the Memorial where he finished 32nd or 26th. Um, <laughs> and didn't cash my top 20, but he would have cashed the top 40. So maybe I should start dabbling in the top 40s more often. Well, the thing like with Tringali, a guy like him is like the upside so limited. Obviously, he doesn't have a win on the PGA Tour and it's tough to expect a top 10 result from him in most of these events. So I always like trying to mostly when I can get a kind of big number where I have value on it with where it was in the top 40 market. Uh, as far as Keegan Bradley goes, it's funny you bring up first round leader. I have a first round leader bet on him. I, I think it was Beautiful. 90 to one. Uh, I think that that's a really good bet for him. He's fourth for me in my weighted tee to green category. If I think putting's going to be negated a little bit, this is a great venue for him. We know he can get hot with the irons. We know that if the putter's not going to be, you know, what ends up sabotaging his tournament, I think he can make a run. There's obviously that concern that he burns you on Sunday and he goes from like second place outside of the top 40. But that's something that I'm willing to, to take a dabble on there. And then the other three plays that I do have, I have Taylor Gooch at plus 220 on FanDuel. He's plus 200 on DraftKings, plus 200 on PointsBet. 26 in my model over the last 50 rounds on long courses. His all-around game should make him a bounce-back candidate, I believe. I'm going to go down the well 
again with Hank LaBiota, was not on him last week. I view this as a Seamus Power type thing where I didn't think that was the best course fit. I think this might be a little bit better. Now, you can argue the distance could make it a little bit more challenging for him to compete. But plus 350 on DraftKings, plus 200 on FanDuel, plus 275 on points bet. He had made seven straight cuts before last week. And then I am wrapping it up with a top 20 dart throw myself here. That pays in full on Doug Gim at plus 800. The putter's always bad, but he ranks 12th in GIR percentage, 13th in weighted proximity, and 24th in my weighted tee to green. So as Owen, you said with Higgs, just a guy, he might miss the cut. He might burn me, but I'm willing to take a shot that he gives us whatever his best version is. And at eight to one, I think it's a pretty good number. Yeah, and I actually, uh, Gooch and Gim, both, I think, are going to have pretty good careers in the PGA Tour once they start kind of putting it all together because they have the pieces there. Um, and Gooch, I've played plenty of times before. In Silver Ditch and Gale, he may not have cashed for me, um, but I think that those are both pretty good plays. Um, I didn't have Gooch written down, but I almost did. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. have Gooch um, 45th overall, so he's kind of right in that range, but at plus 220, I had it as value. I like it. Yeah, I was um, close to taking Gim, actually. He, I liked what I saw a lot on him. I, I didn't do it just because... I don't know. I've seen Doug Gim. Plus have- 800, though, you said? Yeah, that's at an, uh, another sort of an offshore book. But uh, there's not very many offshore books, at least legal in the United States, that pay out uh, in ties with it. So I'm sure based off of that, most people could figure out what it is or where <laughs> it's at. Um, yeah, no. So I, I like the gameplay. I, I was almost on him as well. And Gooch, similar to Owen, I just... I feel like I haven't been able to get him right. Every time I take him, like I missed. And then when I'm off him, he plays well. So I, he's just one of those guys I can't figure out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I certainly like his game and I've taken him a bunch. I just seem to always be wrong when I do. Yeah, I, I think this is a better course fit for him. Obviously, I could be wrong, but just anything that kind of is well-rounded for him, like a course that's going to require everything, I think it's a better fit than anytime anybody has to specialize in on anything. But uh I mean, that is it for me. Anything that you guys have. I have a question for you, Spencer. How do you okay. feel about Harold Varner III this week? Uh, I mean, this is the ongoing discussion that Stick Picks and I have on this show. So this is something I will give him credit for. He's noticed this more than I've noticed it. I always like Harold Varner. He's a guy that he always grades well for me in my model. The one thing he brought up is anytime that these venues are a little bit longer and driver has to be hit, these results get worse. So I guess that would be my biggest concern with it from a modeling perspective. I like him. It's just, that's in the back of my head with Nick and he has been right every single time with that. Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm going to take him in the top 40. Actually, I already took him in a top 20 market as well. Uh, I like the course history. And like you said, the driver can be a problem, but you mentioned that uh, maybe the rough won't be as penal as people think. So maybe Harold can spray it a little bit more than we'd like and still rebound enough to cash a top 20 or top 40. So I'm going to be on HB3 this week. Similar to you, I just I can't stay away from the guy. Yeah, and relatively good distance. So, I mean, like the length technically shouldn't be a problem. I don't. I guess it's just that he's spraying it off the tee. And it doesn't necessarily show in my model like that, but something's happening on these long courses where he's having problems. Yeah, I've also seen him completely duff one off the tee and hit it about like 50 yards. So I remember that. 
Just got to hope that that doesn't happen. <laughs> yes, I, I remember that. That was not pretty. I think that's when he was at the lead of the Genesis, was it? I think you're right. It was definitely yeah. when he was in contention. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was bad. Yeah, scary moment for Harold. Yeah. I um, What are your thoughts on Ian Poulter this week? So for me, it, he stats didn't really jump off the page to me. But if I looked a little bit deeper into him, He's playing pretty well lately. I mean, he came top 10 at the WGC the last time he played. He played pretty well at the Open Championship. I think it was the 26th. Um, and then before that, he had a good showing at the Scottish Open over there, which obviously, you know, much weaker field, but just, you know, kind of his form and playing well. Um, it seems like Poulter's kind of got something figured out, even if it doesn't necessarily show in his stats. Um, he had a top 10 here last time in 2019. And I see him as a plus 360 for a top 20. Um, so I might play Poulter just kind of on current form and course history alone, which, you know, can get a little dicey. But I do think he's playing well now. And I kind of think that he can grind it out and find himself in that top 20 there. Yeah, I, I had this discussion with Josephine Chang on our, our Be The Number pod that we do. And um, she loved him. Uh, he was inside the top 20 of her model with the way she ran it, even with the stats, maybe not being exactly where you would expect them to be, but 40th for me in safety, he's 22 spots higher over his last 24 rounds in my model, uh, strokes gain total. He's 38 spots higher T to green, 18 spots higher off the T 30 spots, higher approach. So just straight across the board, he's a guy that's in really good form and you just see it with the results. Like the 10th at the WGC, the 26th at the Open, uh, you know, a couple top 40 results before that. So I think if you're looking at him from a statistical perspective, as you said, you're not going to find the value there. But I do think that there is something to be said about the form that he's in and what he's bringing to the table this week. Yeah, but, I agree. But, uh, you know, let's wrap it up there for the top 40s and all that market. And let's let's uh, get to the end here with the outright bets. So I have... Five this week but Matt I will start with you uh what did you like I'll start with my top play here do you want all of them or just the top uh we get, give me all of them and we can all go through them okay well my top play and I'll I'll go through them we can go through them after I guess but my top play I'm going with Rory um at, I, I have him at 20 to 1 here on FanDuel I've seen some other people get some better numbers on him if I could find that I'd be very happy but I still think 20 for him is a pretty good number um I'd like Daniel Berger as well this week I will be on him um I'm gonna go back to Abe and <laughs> um I also like Patrick Reed who we've had this discussion before I think when you came on our podcast not necessarily a stat popper, but, you know, he's a bulldog. He can grind it out. And, you know, in these full field events, I feel like he always has that value because he wins more than, you know, his number shows that he's given. Yeah, we we talked about it on your show because we were talking about Finau's, you know, choke equity that he might have. Uh, Reed has the opposite of that. He seems to win these golf tournaments and statistically he's not going to pop in your model. Uh, Berger's third overall for me. I think that I guess the only negative that I would have for him is just, he seems to be a better guy on these short par seventies, maybe than anything else. But from a statistical perspective, I really can't find anything that I dislike. And Rory is the ultimate wild card here because the, his ball striking has been yeah. so good. Like yes. he's probably playing better than 
anybody else when you just look at the numbers and if the putter turns around, there's a win looming again. It's crazy because that's when you dig deeper into Rory, like you look at the results and it's nothing like spectacular and you kind of still think he's slumping. But if you look at what he's done recently, I mean, his approach and tee to green numbers are absolutely insane. What he did last week in, uh, or last time he played in Memphis, I mean, he was second um, in the field tee to green and second in approach. You know, he's in his last 12 rounds in this field, he's number one ball striking. I dug back even his last five events in approach. I mean, he's gained at least 4.1 strokes in each event, which if he's hitting it that well, I mean, it, like you said, the putter has to come around at least marginally at some point, and he's scary if he does that. And you're still getting him at that 20 to 1 number, which is feels like such value. Yeah, I, I kind of think he should be like a 16 to 18 to 1 golfer. Uh, obviously, Dustin Johnson's catching some steam this week. He's the second highest priced guy on DraftKings. I just think with Dustin, it's almost a mirage to an extent extent with it. Southwind was such a good venue for him um, with where the proximities came from. I think that like he's six feet beyond uh, his average proximity range from a, over 175 yards. Obviously, you have over 50% of shots coming from that range this week. That's my only concern with him. Now, Dustin may get hot and win the tournament. Like I'm not saying that that's not possible, but... I agree with you that if I am in the section, like I kind of felt like Rory should have been a favorite over him. Uh, but Owen, what do you have for us? So I've been telling myself this for a while and I haven't been listening to myself, but you have to go to Colin work out here. The guy has just been playing the best golf. I mean, his irons are phenomenal. His last 24 rounds, he's first in strokes gain approach, first in strokes gain ball striking, first in strokes gain total. First and good drives gained. He's going to give himself plenty of opportunities, and he's now started to limit his mistakes, and that's why you see him winning the Open, finishing fourth at the U.S. Open, second at the Memorial, eighth at the PGA. Every time he steps on the tee, you're feeling like he's going to be in contention, and that's why I also love him at as a top 10 for plus 210. Um, but in the outright market, I found myself at times when Collins started to get priced lower than Brooks and DJ and Rory at times, I was like, Ugh, I'm really not going to take Brooks at, you know, with four points higher, five points higher. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to do it to myself anymore. I'm going back and take Colin Morikawa this week as uh, my favorite play. Um, and after that, I'm going to Bryson DeChambeau, which is something I never do. Um, and the value just is too much for me um, for a guy that can win as often as he does. And I think, Obviously, he seems like a little bit of a head case right now. His implosion, um, the last time we saw him on a Sunday, completely ruined Harris English's round as well. Um, but that would be the only really hesitancy I've had with that. But the number for me, for a guy that has proven to be very valuable, and typically if he'd been playing well, we'd probably see him under 15 to 1. Um, so with that being said, and that was my little caveat in the beginning when you mentioned that the rough might, might not be playing that difficult. There's definitely some drivable holes for him. And when he's hitting his driver well, he can do damage that other guys can't. So I think he's going to give himself opportunities this week. And if he can just not be a complete head case uh, on the weekend, I think he's going to have a shot. Um, so those are my two top guys. Um, and this week, I'm going, I'm not really going any higher than 60 to 1, um, which is not normal for us. So I'm going to go be joining Matt with Daniel Berger at 31 to 1. I'm also going to go to Scotty Scheffler, and he's going to get 
potentially, well, he might get his first PGA Tour win this week. Um, I think he's been playing phenomenally. And it's like every time he steps up um, at one of these bigger tournaments, he ha- finds himself having a great, great tournament. Um, the last 12 events, WGCs and majors, he hasn't finished outside of the top 20. Um, so that could be another good value play for top 20 as well. Uh, but he will be on my outright card. And I'm going to finish it off with Sam Burns. Uh, my guy, Sam Burns, 60 to 1 on FanDuel. Um, another guy who I feel like is going to be the complete package has now proven it, got the monkey off his back with his win at the Valspar. And then he uh, essentially blew a chance at another win. Um, and uh, I won't blame him because he gave Abe Answer a win. But nevertheless, he's putting himself in contention. And I kind of was surprised to see him over 50 to 1. I mean, there are guys with the likes of Cam Smith. Um, I don't even know who else, but there are guys up there that I feel like probably shouldn't be where they are. And you're getting double the value with Sam Burns, a 60 to 1. Um, so I just love everything about Sam's game his ball striking, his putting. I think he's going to put together something good this week. Um, and I think he's going to finish the year strong. So if there's two guys that I do not have on my card that I am the most worried that will burn me this week, it would be Matt's pick of Rory. And it would be, Owen, your pick of Colin Morikawa. And for, obviously, I said the reasons for why I liked Rory this week. Morikawa, as you just alluded to, is almost number one in any statistical category that I ran this week. Of the seven categories I have, I believe he is first or second in five of them. That is very scary. And any time that you do remove putting, and if you're just looking at T to green, he is substantially better than everybody else on tour and i mean everybody else it's not even it's crazy it's crazy he's in another world with it so i think the way rory's playing and i think the way that morikawa's game suits this course those are the two guys you know that maybe in retrospect i wish i maybe would have built this card a little bit differently but i have five people this week i will run through these very quickly uh i am with you on bryson dechambeau you know we obviously keep getting these weird sunday rounds from him where he can't close the tournament but I kind of just felt like this number was the most inflated of any of them, especially if this venue turns into a bomber's paradise. He's second in this field from 200 plus yards and fourth in my weighted proximity that I ran. I am going to go down and play Brooks Kepka this week at 25 to one. And he's not a name that I've heard from a ton of people, but yep. I think this is a very good venue for him. And one yeah. of the reasons is because I run my model a little bit longer than most people. So it gets rid of that recency bias with it. Kepka was obviously horrible at the WGC. There's no other way around it. But the results skewing his recent performance. He still gained tee to green in nine of his last 10, off the tee in his previous 12 with his irons in seven to 10, and around the green in nine of 13. So he is my pick to win the tournament this week. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of places you can go on the top. You can make an argument with Rory. You can make it with Morikawa. I'm going to make it with Brooks. And then the last three that I have, which... One, you guys are going to hate. I already know it just based off of the answer that you just gave me a second ago. But uh, I have Victor Hovland at 40 to 1. I think he's volatile around the green game is not as bad as the perception around him. He's gaining four of his last seven in that. Although when he loses, he loses badly. But top 20 in my model, weighted tee to green, strokes gain total on bent, strokes gain total on wind, and par five scoring. I'm going to play Terrell Hatton at 60 to 1. 11th in my model, tee to green, fourth in strokes gain around the green over his last 24 rounds. Seventh in weighted proximity. And then the one that I know you guys are not going to like. And I don't know if anybody has a ticket on him. And I don't know why many people would put a ticket on him necessarily. But I am going to bet Tony Finau. No. 
And so here's my reasoning for it. I know that the recent metrics are not ideal. If you were to make a course for Tony Finau that he was going to find success at, off the tee, around the green, and I would say this proximity range in general. I think that a lot of the recency bias is being thrown into this number. I think if you had a better version of him, he could be a 30 to one golfer. I think he could be in that Scotty Scheffler type of range with it. I like the Scheffler call that you had also there, Owen, with it. But I just think a guy like Finau is kind of in that range. And if the game turns around, at some point he's going to win. We've seen it with Answer. Obviously, Burns won recently. Like It's going to be his time at some point. Yeah, that's funny you mentioned that because when we did our pod earlier, um, that 60 to 1 line, we talked about there being guys there that could pull it off. Hatton has not mm. played well, and now his number has slid. And Finau, I mentioned, I mean, he's now into the range where I feel like he's very bettable. Um, I mentioned that I'm not going to take him, but in a, like a top 20 market, I think that now he's even more valuable than he has ever been. And the fact that you're kind of taking him when a week that maybe most people aren't, you might be onto something here. Um, I can't endorse it, but Tony Finau is now down at a very, very nice number. And you're going to feel pretty good if you hit him at 60 to one. Yeah. And the other bet I, I actually didn't mention is I have him in the top 30 market also on FanDuel at plus 130. I don't think I mentioned that at least. So um, another way to get exposure to him, if you don't like him in the outright market, I think that that's a number that's also inflated. And that's typically a good move on Fina regardless. It's just that he's been so poor of late. It's now you're getting more and more value on him. So, hey, if he comes out and he can put it all together, I, I, I definitely see it. I would have two comments on your picks. I When we had, uh, me and Owen had talked earlier on our um, show, I had said that I think Hatton is maybe the best value on the board. I mean, this is a guy that we've seen in majors go off at like, low 30s to one all of a sudden he's 60 to one and i get he's not playing well but i think that his talent is way different than the 60 to one you know number that he's um getting next to his name the concern obviously for him would be you know kind of his performances recently in the bigger events he hasn't played well in the majors or the wgc's but he almost got to the point where i just had to bet him because that number i thought was insane um i can't remember the last time i saw that next to his name and then the other comment would be, I was so close to taking Brooks Kepka and I was between him and Rory and I went Rory, but Brooks scares me so much. I think he's a good fit, like you said. And I mean, if you take out last week, he had like three straight top six finishes. He was playing so well. He was the betting favorite last week. Obviously he had good course history there as well, but it's like one bad week and all of a sudden he falls to, you know, sixth or seventh on the list. Um, and it just seems crazy because, He's one of those guys in a big event that he always plays well. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing with like Bryson and Brooks and some of these guys, like you've gotten, it's not even bad. Uh, Brooks's performance was bad. Bryson's is more of like a bad Sunday with it, but a couple of results that are just not what people thought they should have been. And all of a sudden, you know, you have Brooks in the mid twenties, you have Bryson in the high twenties, mid twenties, depending on where you got him at. And I just think there's an overreaction going on with some of these players and, that was my only thing about Abraham answer is like, if you put him at 70 to one, like, you know, or 50 to one, even like there's more of a value to be made. I just think at 33 to one, it's going to be hard for him to win in, um, you know, back to back starts there. But as I said, nothing else will be said bad about answer after the shameless <laughs> call from you, Owen. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, 
I'm not going to be on board with Matt this week on answer, which is shocking, but I do think he's going to come out and play well again. I think he's pretty good value in the top 10 or 20 market. I think he's now kind of figured it out. He consistently puts on a good show. Um, and now that he's got that monkey off his back, who knows? We've seen guys get hot down the stretch, uh, a la Billy Horschel in the FedEx Cup. Um, so maybe there's something to be said about answer, kind of catching form at the right time. But there are so many good golfers here this week, um, and I certainly hope we're right about Bryson. Yeah, Spencer, I had one kind of comment question for you, I guess, on answer. Um, you know, obviously the number, like you said, isn't great, but my what I kind of find funny about it and – uh, you know, everyone in golf, and I'm guilty of it as well, is that, you know, it's so hard to win a golf tournament that you never really expect anyone to go back to back. But uh, what's funny, given his second place finish in 2019, and, you know, had he lost in a playoff at the WGC, I feel like everybody would be on him this week. But because uh, he won that playoff, everyone's off. I, I The one thing I will say to that is if he didn't win, I think then you would have gotten the 50 to 1 number. I think that win is what's kind of moved him a little bit. Yeah, probably true. That that's my only argument there, and and I agree. I mean, I as I said, I don't think he's going to burn lineups. I think he's safe. I think in a top twenty type market, it makes a lot of sense. But as the eleventh person on DraftKings, that was my only real concern with it. But uh, I will let both of you guys get out of here. I really appreciate you coming on. As I said, you know, I have your guys's back with anything. I owe you guys a lot for putting me on a show. It was uh, a great experience I had. But uh, tell everybody where they can find you. Yes, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, at Draws and Fades. We're all over Twitter, uh, Owen underscore Vrabel and Maddie Mills 85. Um, yeah. There we go. So we've been getting a lot of traction recently. We've been having a good time, and we appreciate you having us on. This is awesome. You give us a lot of insight that we don't typically think about, um, so I love it. Well, I yeah, we'll really have to get you it. back on our show again soon. And anytime, let me know. We'll uh, hopefully we can uh, do that very shortly here. And uh, that's a tease. They, It'll be it's going to be soon. Yes. <laughs> and, and as they said, you can follow them on Twitter at draws underscore n underscore fades. You can follow me on Twitter at t off sports. You can follow this show at uh, the Better Golf Pod. Uh, we are on iTunes. And thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you, Matt and Owen, once again for doing this. Good luck this week and let's make some money. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for having us, Spencer. Thank you.